Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. With the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and, now that's where we left off last week, and here we go, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, and with this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for the saints. So last week, we talked about taking a stand, right? We're talking about that firm stand, and we went into that pretty deep. And this week, we're talking about really our attack. In fact, we're talking about power paradigms. Everybody say power paradigms. And so you got to understand that we have an authority not to just resist the enemy, but to take ground for the kingdom of God. Amen. Are you with me? How many know that if you have the kingdom of darkness in your life, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're like worshiping Satan, right? You're like doing seances and strange stuff like that. But simply if, if there's lack in your life, if there's darkness in your life, if there's depression and discouragement in your life, how many know that that is not the kingdom of God? And so God wants to drive those things out of your life, and we do that, and God has given us some very powerful tools on how to do that. So we resist, we stand firm, but we also fight. We have a sword in our hands. Are you with me? So we take all this weaponry we've been given, and we fight, and we fight, uh, and, and we fight because the weapons of our, our warfare are not carnal, right? We don't fight like the world does. Um, in fact, we have power to demolish spiritual things. And so the things that you can't see, the intangibles, right, the battle in your head, you have the power to demolish that. You have the strength and the ability to demolish those things, according to Second Corinthians 10. And how do we do that? Well, he tells us right here, you take up the, the sword of the Spirit and you pray. And you pray in the Spirit. Now, some of you say, well, yeah, that means praying in tongues. Yeah, it could be that. But it also would just mean praying in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. So you're praying all the time. You're praying when you're coming. You're praying when you're going. You're praying when you're in the car. You're praying when you're disciplining your kids. Oh, oh. Some of us need to do that a little bit more when they're disciplining our kids. You're praying whenever you're, when you have tension at work. You're praying when you have tension in your marriage. You're praying all the time. When? On all occasions. On all occasions, you're praying with all kinds of prayers. I mean, you know, there's not just one kind of prayer. There's all kinds of prayers. There's prayers like adoration. We did that kind of during worship this morning, right? Worship's a, really a prayer of adoration. We're saying, God, you're holy. You're amazing. I love you. I'm adoring you. I'm, I'm, I'm showing my love for you. Then we have prayers of appreciation. Prayers of appreciation like, thank you, God. Thank you for all that you are. Thank you for what you're doing in my life. Thank you for being a good provider. Thank you for taking care of me. Those are prayers of what? Appreciation. Then we have prayers of supplication. Supplication is like your needs. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm praying, Lord, that the finances will come in this morning. Come on, I'm praying that my, my kids will have a good day at school. I'm praying that, that everything will go well with me at my job interview that I have today. So you're praying prayers of supplication. Then you, we have prayers of intercession. And intercession is where we're standing in the gap for someone else, someone who doesn't have a connection with Jesus. We're saying, Lord, they can't come to you, but I can. So I'm praying for that person that doesn't know you. And we're also praying inter, inter, prayers of intercession from the Father to the world, right? We're representing the Lord to the world. And so we have had prayers of intercession. And then we have prayers of declaration. And that's when we pray, when we're not just kind of just doing prayers of meditation, which is a good thing, but we actually have prayers of declaration. I mean, that Jesus said, when you pray, he said, when you pray, say. And some of you don't ever use your mouth when you pray. 
You need to use your mouth when you pray. That doesn't mean you have to pray as loud as I do, but you need to have develop a declaration in your life that the things that are coming out of your life are powerful. Life and death are in the power of the... So whenever you pray... You're praying powerful prayers, and you need to declare those things. That's why we do a declaration to kind of get you started in your life, that you start declaring the Word of God. You start declaring the promises of God, the prayers of declaration. And how many know that God wants you to have, listen, God wants you to have answered prayers. We all want answered prayers, but can I tell you today that God is for you, and He wants to answer your prayers? And so what happens a lot of times is we have a a theological system for unanswered prayers, right? Right? We're like, well, the reason why God doesn't have, well, he's got, we have a little memes and we have all these little motivational posters on why prayers aren't answered. But you know, Jesus didn't make a lot of those statements about unanswered prayers. In fact, he said if we prayed, that he would answer. And so what we don't need is to develop a theology. We, we don't need to develop a theology for unanswered prayers, but to deepen our faith to see answered ones. Do I need to say that again? We don't need to develop a theology for unanswered prayers but to deepen our faith to see answered ones. And let me just say this. We don't, we don't send prayers, right? I'm going to send my prayers. What do, you, what do you mean by that? Like an email and you click send? We don't throw up, I'm throwing up prayer. I, 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 you got to understand something. When you pray, you are accessing the king of the universe, and you're not just doing this little, you know, nice little thing on Facebook. Someone post some prayers. Did, did you? Did you pray? Were there prayers? Or were you just lying or trying to make somebody feel better? If you're going to say you pray, then, then take the moment right there. That's what I do. So I make sure I'm not lying about it and forget about it later. And so when I say I'm praying for you, I'm going to pray. And usually it's going to be right there in that moment. And sometimes whenever we gather the family together at night to pray. So, yes, send your prayers. And let me also say this about prayers, because there's been a whole lot of, you know, blogs and things being written about, you know, well, it's good to pray, but we're, we're tired of your prayers. You need to do something. How many know that you can do something, but if you can put prayer behind what you're doing, it's going to be way more than what you can do on your own. So there's a lot you can do on your own, but I'm telling you, if you want what you're doing to be powerful, you better learn the power of prayer because you can access the one who holds all power. So if you really want to see some good in the world, then develop your prayer life. Develop your prayer life and then see what you put your hands to. Be blessed. Prayer is the most powerful. Listen, the most powerful thing that you can do, the most, the, the most powerful thing that you can do in your life is pray. The most powerful. I'll tell you what, if you pray, you will obey. It's just the way it works. Pray, then obey. Yeah, you're going to obey if you pray because God will transform your heart in those moments. So prayer is the most powerful thing that we can do because it's connected with the all-powerful one. So we're talking about prayer. That's how we fight in the kingdom of God. We fight with prayer. First of all, we can pray. We have access because Jesus made the way for us to approach the Father by pouring out his blood for us. We talk about the blood of Jesus. What we're talking about is access. Secondly, we exercise authority by praying in the name of Jesus. Did you know that you have authority in the name of Jesus? Not just because you use the name of Jesus, but because you're in the name of Jesus. And third, we, we know how and what to pray, not based upon our need. This is important. Listen, we know how and what to pray. Because there's a, there's, a, there's a good way to pray, and there's a bad way to pray. Right? God, I hope that you... That's not a good way to pray. Praying is not hoping. We should know how to pray and what to pray. It's, I love it that God is so into this partnership thing that he says, you know what? I'm going to tell you what to pray, and then I'm going to answer it. Yeah, right? <laughs> right? 
He wants to answer your prayers, but he also wants you praying the right thing. So we know how to pray, not just based upon our need, listen, but according to his promise. So God, listen, understand this, that God doesn't supply according to our need. God doesn't supply according to our need, but according to his nature. God doesn't supply according to your need, but according to his nature. Check us out, Philippians 4.19, and my God. I think it's preaching when he said, and my God, period, will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So God will meet your need, not according to your resources, but according to heaven's. So he wants to meet your needs. He wants to take care of all the need in your life, emotional needs, financial needs, relationship needs. He wants to be the need meter in your life. But he doesn't answer according to your need, but according to his nature. John 15, verse 7. This is a great passage. I, I would encourage you, if, if, if you're going to say, Pastor Josh, what should I read in the Bible? I would say spend the rest of the year in John, four, in John chapter 14 through 17. Just spend the rest of the year in, in those passages. Well, when I get done, just read it again. Read it again. Read it every day. I think that'd be way more effective than you trying to do a Bible reading plan and try to cross the finish line. Get in the word deep. Jesus says this, if you remain in me, and my words remain in you. What I'm saying remains in you. Ask whatever you wish and it'll be done. So that what Jesus is teaching us this is, he said, listen, if you will get well connected with me, I'll teach you what to pray. And when you pray, it'll happen. Because it's my Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. Amen? All right. Let's talk about these power paradigms today. Now, we've hit on them. Let's dig a little deeper. The first power paradigm, look at your neighbor and say power paradigms. I know it makes you feel smart saying paradigm. Power paradigms. Paradigm is something that where you're, you're, you're shifting things. Listen, I believe if your shifting will think and revolve around the power in your life being activated through these things, I believe you're going to see some prayers answered. I believe that your life is going to shape it up. You can continue. You know and I know that you don't want your life to continue like it's been going. Come on. So get some power on it. The first, the first power paradigm is the word of God. Now, this is what he says, right? Put on the helmet and take up the sword. What is the sword? What is it? He tells us right there. What does it say? The word of God. So the word of God is our number one power paradigm. There's two Greek words for the word sword, or for the word word, sorry. The first is logos. Everybody say logos. That's like a logo. You know what a logo is? Okay, a logo same word, logos. The logos is, or the logos, is the written word. When you read your Bible, you're reading the logos, or the logos, right? You're reading the written word of God. It is his constant objective word. It's the truth. It doesn't change. It's constant. It's steady. It's good forever. This is how we understand God's nature and his ways. You want to know about God? Read the Bible. Don't read the news to find out about God. Read the Bible to find out about God. You read the news to find out about the world and how jacked up the world is. You, you find the solution by reading the Word of God and finding out how good God is. Listen, Hebrews 4.12, check this out. This is using the word logos right here. These are, two again, two different words for the word word. <laughs> word, word, word. All right. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word, everybody say logos, of God is alive. So it's a written word, but it's alive. It's kind of creepy, but it's pretty awesome too. It's alive. That word is 
alive and powerful, or living and active, as one translation says. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged. Everybody say two-edged. Two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. That's a sharp sword. It even cuts in the spirit. It cuts into the unseen. It expresses our inmost thoughts and desires. So the word is a double-edged sword. It's got two edges on it. So it cuts going in, and it cuts going out. That's what the word is. It's a double-edged sword. When you read the word, and this is what it says about it, that it cuts between soul and spirit. That it judges, one translation says, the intentions of the heart. So when you read the word, it's like the Lord takes his word, and he starts working in your heart. And he starts shaping that thing and molding it. Well, that hurts. It does hurt sometimes. But you got to understand that when he's doing that, he's, he's cutting, normally what he's doing, he's cutting away all the junk. He's cutting away all the stuff that doesn't line up with his word. He's, he, and he's skillful. He's skillful with his word. And he just, uh, he just gets in there and he just shapes it. He cuts going in and cuts going out. It is a sharp, sharp two-edged sword. However, that's not the only word. Your Bible is a sword. But listen, there's a second word for the word word, and that word is rhema. Everybody say rhema. Rhema. Rhema is the spoken word. The rhema is the logos spoken or declared. Are you okay? Are you okay? But the reason why we have that is because God is a relational God. My words are spirit and they are life, right? So here it is. He's relational. So he wants to speak. He doesn't want to just have a Bible and be, Jesus didn't die to give you a Bible, right? So he, he died to bring you into a relationship with him. So the, the, the spoken word is relational and revelatory. Are you all right? So listen, you can memorize or read the word, and that's incredible. That's awesome. It's awesome to read the word. It's awesome to meditate on the word. It's awesome to think about the word. However, when the word is spoken, as it says in Ephesians 6, that word is rhema. When you speak the word, that word gets in your hand. And now you have the ability to cut down the enemy. Now you have the ability not just to deal with your heart, because I'll say this, that the logos is really for you and for your heart and to deal with those things. But when you speak the word, you tear the enemy down. Come on. So listen, a Bible on your not stand or a Bible verse framed or put on your refrigerator does you no good and let us brought out of the sheath. It don't do you any good to have it in your mind if you don't speak it. Listen, you need to declare the word of God. The rhema word of God. My situation is so bad. My situation is so bad. You don't know, pastor. It's so bad. It's so bad. But are you bringing out the word? Are you speaking the word over your situation? Are you saying that God is a good supplier? Are you saying that he's good according, not according to my need, but according to his goodness? Listen, you want to see the transforming power in your life? Don't just read the word. Declare the word of God. The written word can change your heart, but that spoken word will transform history. Knowing the word tells us what God said. Believing the word gives us hope as we live in the tension of the not yet. It's good to have it because, man, you need it. It's not yet, but you're holding on to the verse. 
But speaking and praying the word strengthens our faith as we cut away all that stands in our way. Beloved, don't just know the word. Don't just listen to the word. Declare the word of God as it says in Ephesians 6 that Rhema, you speak the word. You have it. Speak it. Quit talking about how powerful the devil is and how rotten your life is and how you wish things would have been different for the last 50 years. Quit talking about that. Start talking about the word of God. Declare. Pull out your sword, beloved. He didn't come to give you a Bible. He came to establish a relational connection. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh. Jesus is the word. And he made his dwelling among us, for you have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the word, the spoken word of God. Jesus says this in John 6, 63. We hit on it a minute ago. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. But the words that I've spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. The rhema word that I give you is spirit and life. You want life? Don't just listen. Speak. Speak what he's saying. It's, well, it sounds like all that positive confession stuff. I don't care what you want to call it. I'm just telling you it's a principle based upon the word of God. I don't know about name it, claim it. I don't know about any of that. But I know that whenever we speak the word of God, that it pulls down strongholds. Number two. You got the word? You good? You going to speak the word this week? Number two. The name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. It says this in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, that salvation is found in no one else. See, no one else can save you but Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can save you. For there is no, one, no other name under heaven given to men much where they must be saved. Listen, did you know that nobody else can save you? Buddha can't save you. Muhammad can't save you. Come on, there's, a, there's only one that can save you. And his name is Jesus. You say, why? Why is Jesus the only way? Because he's the only one that made the way. He's the only one that died for your sins. None of these other guys did. Oh, they might have been real nice and real, you know, whatever, made everybody feel real good, but Jesus is the only one that died for you. And can I tell you this? That he's the only one that rose from the dead, too. He's the only one that's still alive. He's the only one that's still speaking. He's the only one that's still moving on the earth. He's the only one. So why is Jesus the only way? Because he's the only one that does it. Why is the name of Jesus so critical? Because, the, because Jesus holds all power. Jesus holds all power. He said this in Matthew 28. He said, all authority has been given to me. Over the devil? Come on. Over the, the strongest forces of darkness? He knows no rival. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. God exalted him, who? Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, that every knee should bow. Has your knee bowed? That every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every tongue, on heaven and on earth. Listen, Jesus is the king of the ages. And listen, He has all authority. And beloved, because we are under his authority, we carry his authority. Because you are under his authority, you now have his authority. Not to manipulate, not to connive, but to to advance the kingdom of God on the earth. And it's all done by the name of Jesus. 
It's all the banner of Jesus. It's all about Jesus, the name of Jesus. Because we are under his authority, we carry the name, carry his authority. John 14, 14, you may ask me for anything in my name. And I will do it. Why? Because you're under his authority. Because you've given yourself to the name that's above every name. The one who rules. The one that you've bowed your knee to. The one that you've surrendered your life to. You said, Jesus, you are the one. You are the one. Your name is the greatest name. And he's like, that's right. It sure is. And I want to empower you to advance my kingdom on the earth. And listen, his name is to be revered. When we talk about it, listen, it is the most powerful name. So you don't throw that name Jesus around. You, you don't even throw his name around when you're praying. Let me say that. You don't throw his name out of fear. Hmm? You throw his name out of authority. Because some people, they'll use the name of Jesus when they're scared. Well, why are you scared? You're using a name that, that you don't, of a man that you don't know. And listen, his name is to be revered. It, it bothers me, you know, when, when you hear like GD and stuff like that in movies, I always hate that. I can't stand that. You know, the scriptures tells us that, you know, that, that uh, to not take the Lord's name in vain. But vain doesn't just mean that you misuse their name and attach it to a cuss word. It means that you're just using their name vainly, like their name doesn't have any value. And I see people do that with Jesus. When I see someone use the name of Jesus in a movie, I'll get like, I'm like, mm-mm. Like you, you, you just crossed the line because that's my king. You need to bow to that need. When someone uses Jesus Christ like a cuss word, I want to be like, what, is he here? He here today? Have you, have you bowed your knee to him? How do we treat that name is critical. And it's not to be thrown around like a magic wand either. Because some people are like, I just say Jesus. Ding. All good. You're missing the point of the text where Jesus is, if you ask anything according, go, go read that. Jesus is talking about living in him. He's talking about the life in him. That whenever you, whenever you use his name, when you apply his name to your situation and circumstances, what you're saying is you're saying the Lord is, is the ruler here. He is the king here. Acts 19 says this, let me say this, the name only works if you know the man. The name only works if you know the man. You can know, you can know the name all day long and not know the man. And it will, be, it will be, listen, it will be powerless to you. Acts chapter 19 says some Jews went around driving out evil spirits trying to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Right? I heard it one time that if you said the name of Jesus, demons got to flee. That's what they were doing. Because that's what Paul was doing. Paul was seeing like, it says, prior to this, it says he was doing extraordinary miracles. He was like praying for like handkerchiefs and singing them to people and they would open the handkerchief and they get healed. Yeah, that was in the Bible before it was on TBN. Way before that. So they're doing this. They're like, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches? Who Paul preaches? I command you to come out. Then seven sons of Sceva, there's seven. Seven of these sons of this guy named Sceva, who was a Jewish uh, priest, were doing this. And then one day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know. Right, there's my little demon voice for you. Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are you? (laughs) That's how he really sounds, a little wuss. Uh, Verse 16, then the man 
who had the evil spirit, jumped up on them and overpowered them all. So seven dudes get attacked by this demon-possessed man. He takes them all out. He beats them down. But they were using the name of Jesus. What was wrong? Well, they didn't know Jesus. They were talking about a Jesus that somebody else had a relationship with. So it doesn't do you no good if you don't know the man. And it says this, that they let him naked. They left him naked and bleeding. Have you ever been beat down like that? Naked and bleeding by demons? Some of you felt like that in your life. Listen, exercise the name of Jesus by knowing the man Jesus and then declaring over your situation in the name of Jesus. You have no authority. Not the name of Jesus that Paul or Pastor Josh knows about. No, 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 the name of Jesus. The name of the man that I was hanging out with and having some coffee with this morning. The name of the man that I was worshiping with Hillsong United on the way to work. That man, you got to bow to him. And you use that name whenever depression comes and tries to seize you. You say, in the name of Jesus, I will not bow my knee to depression. I know the name that is above every name. And the name of depression must bow. The name of sickness must bow. The name of lupus must bow to the name of Jesus. The name of cancer, that's a scary name. But let me tell you what, there's a name that I know that's greater than the name of cancer. There's a greater than the name of any sexual STD. It's greater than the name of any sin. It's the name of Jesus. And all darkness must bow to the name of Jesus. There's no name like his name. Listen, beloved, formulas don't make demons leave. Jesus didn't come to give you a formula. He didn't come to add, to, to add a little thing at the end of your prayer. Are you with me? You, you say that. You say in the name of Jesus when you pray. But when you say it, you understand the authority he didn't come. In fact, I would say this. Jesus came to, a, to get rid of a formula. He came to fulfill a formula, right? That's what happened. They had a formula of the law. It wasn't working very well. So Jesus said, let me tell you what. I'll give you myself. This is better than a formula. So he came to give you a connection and an authority. And it's his authority. Walk in it. And the third is this, the blood. Everybody say the blood. So we got the word. We got the name, and we got the blood of Jesus. You say, why, why, why is the blood of Jesus? Isn't Jesus alive? Yes, Jesus is alive, but it says in Ephesians chapter 2, 13, he says, you have been united with Christ Jesus. You're one with him. Once you were far away from God, you were so far. You were so opposed to God. Scripture tells us that we were enemies with God, but now you've been brought near to him through what? Through your good deeds? No. Through the blood of Jesus. Through the sacrifice of Jesus, you were made close to God. He gave the, he paid the highest price. He wanted you so much that he gave the life of his own, only son. You know, there's these, if you're like me, like traditional things can get a little, little weird, right? So we start talking about, you know, in the name of Jesus. We start talking about uh, things like praying hedges of protection, or we talk about traveling mercies. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? We start talking about those things and we think, oh, that's a little weird, so I'm not going to do it. And so what we end up doing sometimes, because we don't understand something, we label it cheesy and we throw it out. I have a tendency to do that. Let's just be real. However, sometimes there's great truths that can be passed down from tradition. And, um, 
you know, sometimes not. You know, there's a story about a, about a woman who was cooking a ham, and uh, every time she cooked the ham, she cut the ends off. And her husband asked her, he said, honey, how come you cut the ends off the ham? She said, you know what? I don't know. And she said, let's go ask my mom. So they went over to their mom's house and said, why do we cut the ends of the ham off? She said, what? You don't know? I don't know why we cut the ends of the ham off. So they went over to grandma's house. She was still there. There's a whole council, man. Grandma, why do you cut the ends off the ham? She said, oh, baby, because years ago we had this little bitty stove. And a full ham wouldn't fit in there. So we cut the ends of that ham off and we put it in the stove. So sometimes we do things that we don't know why and it's pointless. But sometimes there's good tradition, right? Why you put brown sugar on that ham? That's a good tradition right there. Come on. Because we all know ham. It needs brown sugar for real. And butter, lots of butter. And one of the things that, that, I, that I've heard and, you know, and I think, listen, my point is this. Don't throw out something just because it's traditional, or because you don't understand it. And so one of the things that, that I used to hear a lot when I came to the Lord in the early 90s, when I came to the Lord, people would say, I plead the blood of Jesus. And I was like, what does that mean? So I was like, I'm not going to do that. That's weird. I just threw it out. Well, and then I was kind of like, the Bible, they don't do that in the Bible. They didn't do that. They actually did apply the blood of Jesus in the Bible. I'm going to show you that. But listen, when we say we're pleading the blood, it's like I'm pleading the fifth. Right? Someone comes to you and say, you shouldn't, you, what is your opinion on this? And you go, I plead the fifth. You're saying, I'm not going to talk about it, right? So what you're saying is you're making a declaration. The word plead means to make an emotional appeal or present an argument or a position, especially in court or a public context. So when you plead that when the enemy comes in and he's like, listen, you should, you are so rotten. I can't believe you said that cuss word when that man, you are not a child of God. What you can do is you can go. I am a child of God. I plead the blood of Jesus. I declare the blood of Jesus is greater than my shame. You're so stupid. You're so, your parents didn't even look. I plead the blood of Jesus. I am valuable in the eyes of God. God gave the blood of Jesus. You say, where does that come from? That seems so weird. Well, see, in Exodus, we see this story called the Passover. You ever heard the Passover? The Passover, uh, there's all these plagues that happen and all these kind of things. And the final plague that happened was a spirit of death that was sent over where the children of Israel were. And it was the last straw. It was the last thing that set them free. And so God told the children of Israel this. He said, listen, if you will go out and you'll get a lamb and you'll kill that lamb and you will wipe the blood of that lamb on your doorpost of your house, when that spirit of death comes over, he said, it will not be allowed in your house because you've pleaded Come on, you've applied the blood over your house. And listen, when the enemy comes in, you say, well, how do I know what the enemy's doing? Listen, this is the devil ministry, to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that you might have life, life, and life more abundantly. Life, life, and life more abundantly. We just had to it there. So what, what happens? What do we need to do? When it starts coming, when the darkness starts coming, starts approaching your door, you just, I plead the blood of Jesus. I declare, you're not just saying it because it's a statement, but you understand the blood of Jesus is stronger. The, the, the sacrifice of Jesus is stronger than the shame I'm feeling today. The blood of Jesus cancels, listen, cancels the assignment of the enemy. The enemy has an assignment of your life, but Jesus canceled that on the cross that day. He canceled it. So you say, I agree with what Jesus canceled. I plead the blood of Jesus. I declare in the name of Jesus that you will not come in. You shall not pass. We're stating this, that God has a better covenant. 
We're going to come forward with some communion today. We're going to take communion together and listen. Why is the blood so important? Because you've got to understand in biblical times, there was no covenant. There was no agreement without the spilling of blood. So when Jesus came, he came as that final sacrifice. Again, why is Jesus the only way? Because he's the only one that died. He's the only one that sacrificed himself to redeem you. So Jesus, on Passover, get this. Passover is the day that they celebrated death passing over their door. Because of the thousands of years before Jesus died on the cross. Listen, Jesus was celebrating this feast as a good Jewish man. On Passover, the day that death would pass over. Are you tracking with me? And he says this, when you come together, I want you to have communion, what we call communion. And he says this, can I have one of those? He says, this is the cup of my blood poured out for you. This is my, my blood, my blood has been poured out for you. So what I want you to do is I want you to remember, I want you to remember that I came to make a covenant with you. I came to cancel the assignment of the enemy. I came to to spill my blood for you. And he said, you take the bread, you remember my body that was broken. What happens when Jesus' body was broken? When Jesus' body was broken, the reason why his body was broken was for your healing. Your physical healing, your spiritual healing, your emotional healing, your mental healing, your relational healing. Jesus came for you to be whole. Everybody say wholeness. Wholeness. So when we take the bread... We are saying the fullness of everything Jesus paid for. And we're declaring the purity of his covenant with the blood of Jesus. Are you with me? So what we're going to do today is we're going to take the bread. I want you to just stand up. Don't take it yet. If you have, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. And listen, some of you, I'm I'm going to give you a prescription today. For some of you that have been battling some things, I want, you just, I want you to just grab about seven of these little cups on your way out, if there's some left, and I want you to take communion every day. Do you remember what we talked about today? And you just, every day, you get before God, you open up your Bible right here to, to Luke chapter 20, and you just, you have communion with the Lord. And if there's none left, then you just pull, I've done it before, just pull out some bread and get a little juice, there's no juice, use milk, it don't matter. Or get some water and a, Turn it to wine. That'd be cool. You're saying this. You're saying, listen, with that covenant, you're saying, everything that Jesus did is more significant than my situation. Are you with me? It's more significant than my situation. So let's take the bread. Father, we thank you for giving us Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that your body was broken for us. Lord, you took, you took those stripes upon your back for our healing. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon you. So Jesus, we thank you that you are the bread of life, that you are sufficient to make us whole. And we take the bread today in remembrance of you.
in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus that holds all power, Lord, we thank you for your blood that was shed for us. For the forgiveness, for the remissions of sin. Listen, whatever sin is in your life, I'm believing today in the name of Jesus that addiction is broken as we remember the blood of Jesus. That condemnation is broken off your life today. Lord, we thank you that your blood was shed for us. We thank you that you made a new covenant with us. We love you and we thank you for your blood. In Jesus' name, in the name of Jesus.